The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, we've been told by those who tell that the law of attraction as we currently understand it can be found in the sacred texts of the various world religions. Well, this show is going to look at those texts and see what they really say. What we're going to find there may surprise you, so you might want to hang on. But we don't want to come to understand the sacred text as supposition that tries to prove itself after the fact. We want to be able to look at the real words and the actual meaning of those words and see what's really being said. So we're going to talk about some of the Buddhist texts. We're going to talk about the Bhagavad Gita. We're going to talk about some of the biblical texts. um, And we may even talk about some of what Remy said as well to look at what was really being said in the ancient texts about the law of attraction. Um, One of the things that is quoted very often by those who uh, espouse the current understanding of the law of attraction is this statement, uh, a Buddhist statement that says, We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. And if you just look at that on the surface, it looks like it's saying, well, yeah, if you think positive, then you're going to create positive things in your world. Um, and, and so we could take that and just let that be just like it is. But let's look at some of the other texts. Uh, one from the Surangama Sutra, translated by Upasaka Lu Kuan Yu in 1966. This is what it says. You should know that the essential Bodhi is wondrous and bright being neither cause nor condition, neither self as such, nor not self as such, neither unreality nor not unreality. For it is beyond all forms and is identical with all things. How can you now think of it and use frivolous terminology of the world to express it? This is like trying to catch or touch the voice with your hand. You will not only tire yourself, but how can you catch the void? The ultimate Bodhi is an awakened person. So what this is is saying here is that the essential awakened uh, person is wondrous and bright, and it is neither cause nor condition. The awakened person is neither cause nor condition. If that is true, if that sacred text is true, then how do we think that we're going to use thought to attract our outer circumstances to make us be fulfilled. What are we think? How are we thinking that we can cause an attraction with our thoughts that will be a, a cause or a condition? If we're an awakened person, we already know that that's not possible because an awakened person is neither cause nor condition. 
And if we think thusly, according to this statement, we're just trying to grab hold of the void. That's also a Buddhist statement. And it flies in the face of what, how we've interpreted we are what we think, all that we arise is with our thoughts, with our thoughts we make the world. And uh, if we go further, we understand that um, there's statements all about attachment uh, throughout the Dhammapada, and one of those is avoid attachment to both what is pleasant and what is unpleasant. Clinging to what is dear brings sorrow. Clinging to what is dear brings fear. To one who is entirely free from endearment, there is no sorrow or fear. And here's another. I have sons, I have wealth, the fool suffers thinking thus. Even one's sons, even one's self is not one's own. How then sons, how then wealth? So you see, what the Buddha is teaching is not that our thoughts create an external world that, uh, that, that we are attached to, that we're the cause of that, and it is the condition of our cause. Rather, it's teaching non-attachment. And we know this, and yet we continue to believe that that initial statement is true. Uh, here's another one, and this is where, the, where we get the full understanding of what that original statement was. Remember, the original statement was, we are what we think, all that we are arises with our thoughts, and with our thoughts we make the world. Here's another statement that helps us understand that. In a pellucid ocean, bubbles rise and dissolve again. Just so, thoughts are no different from ultimate reality. So don't find fault. Remain at ease. Whatever arises, whatever occurs, don't grasp. Release it on the spot. Appearances, sounds, and objects are all one's own mind. There is nothing except mind. So here we see that thoughts are impermanent because, according to this statement, they're but perceptions. If we agree with Buddhist philosophy, we're meant to release these thoughts immediately as they arise because they hold no more weight than a bubble rising in a pellucid ocean. If they are this inconsequential, why would they be powerful enough to attract? And it is this perception to which this first comment that we said, what we are what we think, all that we are arises with our thoughts, with our thoughts we make the world, it is that perception to which that comment refers when it says we are what we think. We, we make our identities and our worlds out of perception, all too often living in a perceived rather than a real world. So really, when, that's, when that original statement was made, it didn't mean, oh, you should think positive thoughts and never think anything negative because you're, you're attracting those things and you're making your world out of those things. What it was saying was the world that we perceive is the world we live in. Okay, so we take these things out of context and we make them mean what we think that we want them to mean, and perhaps they don't really mean that. Now, everyone that's listening in the listening audience today gets to have your own interpretation. Certainly, if you want to write me today and say, you know what, Andrea, I don't agree with that at all, you are welcome to do that. I'd love to hear from you. But the point is that we're, we may be misinterpreting when we assume that our sacred texts are telling us that as the understanding we have today of the law of attraction is actually true. Um, so if, if thoughts are to be useful for attraction, such an attraction would be considered to be an attachment. An attachment would be seen as opposite in the Buddhist religion from enlightenment. And here's another statement that, that informs us of that. Those whose minds are well fixed upon the elements of enlightenment, who without hankering after anything... Key statement there, without hankering after anything, 
glory in renunciation, whose biases are extinguished, who are full of light. They indeed have attained the bliss of nirvana in this very world. Okay, so the Buddhist religion is not telling us, uh, according to that statement, that the law of attraction as we currently understand it is true. So here's the law of attraction as we currently understand it. We're supposed to think positive thoughts and not let ourselves think any negative thoughts. We're supposed to create vision boards. We're supposed to work with our emotions to make sure they're not negative. We're supposed to stay away from negative, quote-unquote, negative news and negative information and, quote-unquote, negative people and not let their energies get on us so that we can stay focused on what's positive so that we can attract ourselves a positive life. Okay, now, I, I, I need to be real clear here. I don't have anything against being positive. <laughs> I'm one of the most positive people you'll ever meet. But it's not because I'm trying to think positive. It's because there really is nothing to fear. Okay? And that's, that's the difference. Is Coming to know ourselves as divine self is very different than trying to uh, um, get ourselves to think right. Uh, that's all about striving. So uh, if we put all these Buddhist statements together, what we have to conclude is that any attachment to having is an attachment to that which is no self, which is what is promoted in the Buddhist um, uh, texts, particularly, uh, this is a word hard for me to say, Mahayana Mahaparinirvana Sutra, in which the Tathagata Garbha is described as true self, the pristine Buddha nature, or the awakened nature that lives within every person. That true essence is hidden from most of us, according to the Buddhist religion, because we generally don't live from that place. But this sutra describes the self as the real and the no-self as the unreal. The no-self would be somewhat equivalent to the identity with all of its attachments or the perceptual world as opposed to the essential living of life that is the self. The seeker, then, is actually seeking the true self, which the Buddha thought of as eternal and boundless. So uh, if we put that again together, what we begin to understand is that attachment to having is an attachment to that which is no-self. So those who quote Buddha as an example of a spiritual leader who believed in the current understanding of the law of attraction, perhaps they don't know much about Buddhist philosophy, or maybe they're lacking insight into the meaning of these philosophies, or maybe I'm misinterpreting and they're correct, or maybe they're just trying to deliberately mislead, which I would think that's the less, lesser of those people out there who believe this. So striving to think positive, meaning to attract our dreams, uh, means that we're, we're, we are attached, we are hankering, we are uh, very much attached. Now, this idea of renunciation is difficult for us to buy into, particularly in this day where the law of attraction has taken hold so much. Uh, renunciation in the Buddhist religion has to do not with renouncing the world and going into a cloistered place, although there were, certainly there were Buddhist monks who were ascetic, and Buddha was one of those. Um, but renunciation mo- mostly means renouncing what is no self. So the idea is don't, it's not about whether or not you have or don't have, it's whether or not you are uh, uh, fully awakened or not. So that's the idea. So renunciation is not about um, renouncing, you know, good food, good entertainment, good uh, the things that money can buy. The Buddha would say, money, no money, it doesn't matter, do you have a self? Um, so, okay, 
So that's uh, a, a big part of what the Buddhist religion says. We'll, we'll start a little bit into uh, one of the Hindu texts, which is the Bhagavad Gita, um, and we may get inter- interrupted here with a break, a commercial break, and, but we'll come back to it. So uh, w- the, Buddha, the Hindu scripture uh, that is the Bhagavad Gita tells a story of a conversation between the Hindu god Sri Krishna and the prince Arjuna. And uh, they're really talking between them about what it means to be a part of the Hindu uh, faith and what, what, what that means to be uh, fully awakened, all that. And um, so we're going to talk some more about that. There's a break is coming up now. We're going to talk some more about exactly what they say um, that might lead us to believe that they're, they are or are not agreeing with uh, the law of attraction as we see it today. So stay tuned for more in just a few minutes. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. The Institute of Noetic Sciences has been a pioneer and leading authority in the field of consciousness and healing for 38 years. We invite you to discover how you can transform your health or healing practice with ION's cutting-edge research into mind-body medicine and healing. For a limited time, you can receive valuable thank-you gifts when you support the Institute of Noetic Sciences research and educational programs. Just click the banner on this page to discover how consciousness Research is transforming healthcare. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart, but I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about what the, uh, the sacred texts actually say about the law of attraction. We've been told that the sacred texts do agree with the law of attraction as we currently understand it. And uh, the current understanding we have of the law of attraction is that if we think positive thoughts and, and, and maintain that posture, then we will have what we want in life. Our dreams will come true. And, 
it is by changing that our thinking structure and uh, even monitoring when that didn't work it's kind of like we said well positive thinking will do it and then when that didn't really really make a uh make it all the way to the end so that really it was it took over um people began to say well maybe it's negative emotions that are keeping us and well we tried to work with negative emotions for a while people went to healers and they tried to work with that and then they said, well, maybe it's the shadow material. Maybe it's the unconscious that's keeping us from actually being able to attract from the, from the outside world what we need that will fulfill us. And so a lot of people uh, are still working on the shadow, and actually some of them are doing very good work. Deepak Chopra, Marion Williamson, and um, Debbie Ford have just written a book on the shadow, which I really fully support, and it's, it's uh, all about what is in the shadow. But part of what is in the shadow is divine self because we've repressed it because we've been taught not to know that. So, uh, you know, messing around inside the, the shadow material without much knowledge about what we're doing and without um, uh, taking in the fact that, that uh, uh, there's some sacred information in there as well, uh, it's kind of dangerous territory. So uh, we want to do that well. We want to do it very well. And uh, certainly there's a lot of therapists out there and, and some written material out there that's really good. But going into a healer who says, I'm going to remove this shadow material from you and you won't even have to know, know it, um, I, I'm sorry, I don't think that's effective healing. I think that um, it would be better if we become conscious of what it is that we're healing. So, so those three methods we've used to try to make the law of attraction come true, and we're still finding that even with all that, we're not actually being able to manifest in, in, in consistently manifest in the way that we set out to believe that we could. And I believe that the reason we're not able to do that is because the soul was never meant to work that way. So we're looking at the sacred scriptures today, the text today, to tell us about why it is the soul is not meant to work that way. And we talked in the first segment about Buddhism and what it really says, as opposed to what some of the people who are supporting the law of attraction, as we currently understand it, say it says. And uh, now we're moving on to the Bhagavad Gita. And as we said just before the break, Bhagavad Gita is sacred Hindu scripture, and it tells a story of a conversation between the Hindu god, Sri Krishna, and the prince Arjuna. And one of the things it says in there I think is very interesting. It says, better indeed is knowledge than mechanical practice. Better than knowledge is meditation. Better still is surrender of attachment to results because there follows immediate peace. So, you know, sometimes I, I, I talk to people who are really working hard to make the law of attraction work in their lives, and their practice of thinking positive and imagining themselves in the place of their dreams and trying to stay on top of any quote-unquote negative emotions and trying to stay on top of any negative unconscious material that might present, that has become a mechanical practice. So we have to ask, because some of our affirming and constantly affirming that also is repressing a lot of material and vision boarding, has it turned into some kind of mechanical practice? And an even bigger question is, how does one surrender attachment while striving not to think negative thoughts and thinking only positive thoughts in order to have something? Isn't it possible that while we're striving, we're missing out on the knowing that can occur when we live deep in the inner life of the divine self? So here's very clearly, this is, uh, Bhagavad Gita is one of the uh, clearest books I think there is. And here's what it clearly tells us about what's true and what's false in this area. Those who know me as their own divine self 
break through the belief that they are the body and are not reborn as separate creatures. Such a one, Arjuna, is united with me, delivered from selfless attachment, fear, and anger, filled with me, surrendering themselves to me, purified in the fire of my being. Many have reached the state of unity in me. So what is the in me? It is divine self. We can talk about how that was used in the Bible later as well, but divine self is within each of us. It is very often buried in the unconscious in the shadow material because we've been taught that to acknowledge that we have a divine self is blasphemy. And it might even mean you're crazy. So we don't want to tell anybody that we have a divine self, but the Bhagavad Gita is very clear. We are here to be, to become being, to know the self as divine self. This beingness is the knowledge referred to earlier in that uh, in the um, text when we said that it's better still to surrender. Um, and it is that beingness that delivers us from attachment, fear, and anger. So if we are fully involved and invested in divine self, then that's all we need. There's nothing else. There's no suffering. There is nothing else. So our current understanding of the law of attraction says we will stop suffering when we think positive. If I can only think positive enough, then I will have my dreams. That's the ultimate bargain. If, then. That's bargaining. That's not acceptance. When the uh, Bhagavad Gita talks about the divine self, it's talking about acceptance, which is that surrender that says, I accept that I have a divine self and I surrender to its power. So, and uh, this, this knowing that we can get by being uh, a part of and being surrendered to divine self is, uh, what we get when we recognize the power of that oneness with all things, places, people, and, and events. So here's what the Bhagavad Gita says about that. I, meaning divine self, I pervade the entire universe in my unmanifested form. All creatures find their existence in me, but I am not limited by them. Behold my divine mystery. So if we are, at essence, indeed, divine self, then we pervade the entire universe in our unmanifested form. And we are likewise pervaded by the divine. All creatures find their existence in us, and we find ours in them. This is indeed a divine mystery, so uh, the law of attraction can't even really touch it. Because the law of attraction says there's some work to do. There's a gap between me and what I want. And I have some work to do to bridge that gap. But when we think about divine self, there's no gap. There's nothing to bridge. We already are a part of that essence, and it is a part of us. So, okay, one more. You are the knower and the thing which is known. You are the final home. With your infinite form, you pervade the cosmos. Now, that was Arjuna speaking here to Krishna, or divine self, and declaring that all true knowledge comes from divine self, and all that can be known is divine knowledge. So... That's true because divine self is our own infinite home. And, and, uh, so, and we're going to see that again as we talk about uh, some of the biblical uh, scriptures we're going to read. But the Bhagavad Gita describes the nature of the divine self. Here it is. The self cannot be pierced by weapons or burned by fire. Water cannot wet it, nor can the wind dry it. It's everlasting and infinite, standing on the motionless foundations of eternity. The glory of the self is beheld by a few, and a few describe it. A few listen, but many without understanding. The self of all beings living within the body is eternal and cannot be harmed. Therefore, 
do not grieve. Now, I don't know how to make that any clearer. <laughs> if we are divine self, if we are fully surrendered to divine self, we cannot be harmed. Um, nothing can harm us. There is no gap between, between us and anything we want or need. We can't be hurt by the external, and we can't long for the external. We already have it. It's a part of us, and we're a part of it. So here's the question. If it's true that we're divine self and that we're pervaded by the divine and likewise pervade all things as divine beingness, that we are everlasting, infinite, and cannot be harmed, then why do we need to attract anything from the external, external to attain fulfillment? And here's the answer to that question also found in the Bhagavad Gita. As they approach me, so I receive them. All paths, Arjuna, lead to me. Those desiring success in their actions worship the gods. Through the action in the world of morals, their desires are quickly fulfilled. So the answer is that no matter what we do, we're always moving toward full awareness of divine self. I'm going to say that again because this is a hard one for us to swallow. The answer is that no matter what we do, we are always moving toward full awareness of the divine self. So everything that we're doing is a part of our journey. Even the mistakes we made, even the things that we consider to be so-called evil, even the things that we consider to be good that aren't quite good, all of those things are leading us, all paths lead to divine self. We are ultimately going to awaken to who we are as divine beings. And that's what the Bhagavad Gita tells us. So um, if, we can, if, if we can attain success on planet Earth separate from divine self, how much more can we attain success through oneness? Here's another thing that the Bhagavad Gita says. The distinctions of caste, guna, and karma have come from me, from divine self. I am their cause, but I myself am changeless and beyond all action. Actions do not cling to me because I am not attached to their results. Those who understand this and practice it live in freedom. The wise see that there is action in the midst of inaction and inaction in the midst of action. Their consciousness is unified and every act is done with complete awareness. So divine self within us is beyond all action, yet it acts within action. And we're going to talk some more about exactly how that happens right after the break. So stay tuned for more. This is a real important piece. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. The Institute of Noetic Sciences has been a pioneer and leading authority in the field of consciousness and healing for 38 years. We invite you to discover how you can transform your health or healing practice with ION's cutting-edge research into mind-body medicine and healing. For a limited time, you can receive valuable thank-you gifts when you support the Institute of Noetic Sciences research and educational programs. Just click the banner on this page to discover how consciousness Research is transforming healthcare. 
Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back. Uh, this show, the Authentic Living Show, is sponsored by the Institute of Noetic Sciences, dedicated to expanding science beyond conventional paradigms. Founded by Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, <clears throat> excuse me, IONS is a nonprofit research, education, and membership organization whose mission is supporting individual and collective transformation through consciousness research, educational outreach, and engaging in a global learning community in the realization of human potential. You can join that learning community at www.noetic.org. So I've had a question uh, come through to e- from email from a Denise in uh, Virginia. And, Denise, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to hold for just a few minutes because I think your question is really important and it needs to have the fullest answer possible. Um, the question is, if this is true, that the sacred texts do not tell us about the law of attraction, then what is the point of the law of attraction? That's a very good question, and we're going to answer that, and it does have a very positive answer. So uh, we were talking just before the break about uh, the Bhagavad Gita and uh, what it means to have action that is inaction. So it's another way of saying effortless effort, and some of you may be familiar with those terms. What it means is that we're it's the same thing that Jesus said when he said, I do nothing of my own initiative, and we can talk some more about that, but it has to do with um, having divine self be the actor in our lives so that, so that uh, we are so surrendered to divine self that divine self takes over and it becomes the actor in our lives, the behavior, the thinker, the feeler, the, the person that we are. And we, we don't lose our personality because we already are divine, so you know, we don't lose our personality. We do lose the identity, though. We do lose the mask and costume. And when we, when we lose that, we begin to act in a way that is, it doesn't take work. We're not in effort as we do it. It seems to come to us as a flow. It's not, doesn't push us to strive after something. There is no striving in, in effortless effort. It is just the doing that takes no effort. And, uh, some of have you experienced that from time to time? You might have gone, you know, to check on a baby in the middle of the night that was crying and your total in- energy was all about compassion. You weren't tired. You weren't sleepy. You weren't anything. You just wanted to be there with your baby. Um, that's one example. On another night, you might be tired and irritable and didn't want to go see about the baby. The difference is 
that uh, one of those was done with effortless effort and the other one was done with striving. So when we talk about action that's inaction, that's what we're talking about. But with the common and current understanding of the law of attraction, we're supposed to change our thoughts to positive thoughts and our emotions to positive emotions without, without knowing how to begin to live out a divine self. And that's the missing piece. And that's why it's important for us to understand another law of attraction, which is actually the true law of attraction. And we're going to, as I said, answer uh, Denise's question in just a few minutes that will tell us about that. So, okay. Uh, we also can hear from, uh, from um, Rumi, who, Jaludin Rumi, a poet and Sufi mystic of the 13th century. Um, for those of you who don't know, Sufism is the mystical dimension of uh, Islam. And Rumi says this about how we live our lives here on planet Earth. He says, live in the nowhere that you come from, even though you have an address here. Now that is not about, you know, that doesn't tell us that we should be seeking and striving to uh, fulfill ourselves by attaining things from the external world or events or circumstances from the external world that will fulfill us, it says, live in the nowhere where, that you come from. In other words, the nowhere we come from is divine self. It is that sense that, you know, that, the, the, that people get to when they, when they meditate. They, they talk about a nothingness that is everything. We get to that place where it's nothing but it's everything. It's not all this attachment. It's not... Uh, worry about the, what's going on in the world. It's not a thing. It's nothing. It's nothing. Uh, but it does have a, a supreme energy. So we have the address here, but we're supposed to live from the divine self. Another thing he says, Rumi, uh, every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Welcome and entertain them all. So in other words, he's saying, don't send away your negative thoughts. Don't send away your negative emotions. Be with them, sit with them, explore them, welcome them, entertain them, because they have information to give you about you. And that's the piece also that's missing from the law of attraction, as we currently understand it, that if we, uh, if we listen to those things, they'll drag us down and we won't think any more positive thoughts and we won't feel any more positive emotions and then we won't be able to have our dreams. And what a terrible, tragic thing to think I have to shut away those very informative treasures of what we call negative feelings in order to have my dreams, which is sort of this kind of a bribery that says I can only have my dreams if. Um, is that really what we think spirit really wants us to believe? That's, a, that's an interesting paradigm. So here's something else said by Rumi. Um, the whole life is now. It's today. It's this eternal moment. And we hear that all the time, living into the now. We hear that all the time. But really, what Rumi is saying is all of life, every bit of it, is right now. That means if we're striving to have something, we're not living in the now. And the law of attraction as we currently understand it, though it sort of espouses the idea that we uh, are not supposed to be at attached to the outcomes, still tells us that we need to be thinking positive so that we can get the outcomes we're looking for. So it's a little bit of double speak there. Okay, so uh, here's another thing uh, that, that uh, I think is interesting. Peter Pan said this in the play by J.M. Barry. He said when, to uh, Wendy and John and Michael to get them to fly away to Never Never Land with him, he said, you must think lovely, wonderful thoughts, and they will lift you up in the air. Now, Peter Pan was an expert in I won't grow up. I won't develop maturity. And he tells us to think lovely thoughts and think only positive thoughts so that we can fly away to where? Never, never land. 
I am so sorry to say that so many of us have spent years attempting to think only positive thoughts and refusing to allow negative thoughts or feelings, but haven't yet attracted those results we were looking for. And while we know that we aren't supposed to be attached to outcomes, as I said, we strive to also let go of those. The entire energy then is based on the bargain that if I can have, if we can have what we fancy, then we will finally be happy. And this psychology removes us from the eternal moment and keeps us stuck in the fantasy of having rather than being. In fact, it's a very short trip to Never Never Land. So, okay, now let's look at the Bible. Uh, the Bible is not one of those books that New Age, New Thought people generally look at, but it's a book I look at because it's one of the sacred texts, and it also has a lot of meaning in it that we can hold on to and use. Here's something from the Old Testament of the Christian Bible and the uh, Ketuvim of the Tanakh, of the Hebrew Bible. It says, Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Now that's a strange instruction, and taken literally, it could mean something about throwing away your food in faith that it'll, it'll come back to you. But in order to understand that verse, we have to read the verses that follow it. And they say, He who watches the wind will not sow. And he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. And if you change the word God there to I am, as as I said, uh, Charles Fillmore, who wrote the Metaphysical Bible, says everywhere we see the word Lord or God in the Bible, we need to translate it to I am. So if we say... So you do not know the activity of I am who makes all things. That's the divine self within us. So ultimately the writer of Ecclesiastes, one of those books that people are like, what are you trying to say here? The, the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us of the futility of living as if we can control life. Not telling us of the futility of life, which many people say he is telling us about. He's telling us of the futility of living as if we can control life. So, and what he recommends is that we simply recognize the mystery of living and surrender to it. And that is the surrender to the divine self. It says, well, I don't necessarily have to know what's coming up. I don't have to necessarily believe that my, what I think is true in the future is going to happen for me. What I need to do is surrender to the now, be in the present. So, uh, there, that, that mystery of surrender is one of those things that we have a hard time with as well. We're going to come back to that. So... Here's another uh, that seems to go hand-in-hand hand with the one we just read. It's from Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, and it says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now that is a principle that many people use um, in churches all over the United States um, that has to do with tithing. That we're supposed to give God... 10% of the first fruits of our wealth, and then God will take care of us. But if you remember that bargaining we talked about, there's an if and a then there. If I give the tithe of first fruits to God, then God will give me abundance. So when we push for that, we're, we're, we're designating an uh, if-then relationship between the divine and humanity. And that thinking is part of the problem we find in the current understanding of the law of attraction. So we have, to, we have to ask ourselves, is this a bargaining dynamic we want to have uh, or, or do we want to have a real relationship, real a connection, real surrender to the vine? 
the first uh, new another interpretation of that is that the first of our produce is the realization that we're divine beings. And Jesus talks about that later, as we're going to see. The first of our produce is in the realization that we are divine beings. We honor the I am, the divine self, with our wealth when we realize that there's nothing that isn't already ours. Thus, our barns are filled to overflowing. And again, you know, that same theme can be seen in there is no one who scatters, yet increases all the more. And there is, excuse me, let me start that again. There is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. There is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Now, when we translate that from the traditional and literal interpretation, it seems to be telling us that, that those who espouse the current understanding of the law of attraction, uh, they tell us the same thing. Generosity will uh, get you generosity. So if I'm generous, then I can have abundance. Um, but that is not, that is in, that doesn't run, runs counter to what Jesus said. Here's a little, uh, little sermonette from what Jesus said. Um, he said, I'm going to read this quickly and we'll come back to it after the break. For this reason I say to you, don't be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, and they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why are you anxious about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, O men of little faith? And do not seek what you shall eat and what you shall drink, and do not keep worrying for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you have need of these things. But here's the line that is going to grab us. Seek for his kingdom, and these things shall be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? Well, you know, we read that verse from the traditional um, mindset, not the metaphysical mindset, and what we hear is, well, we shouldn't be worried. Uh, okay, how's that going to happen? We're going to stop worrying. How are we going to do that? Well, what this says is life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Life is that river of life that flows through everything we do. It's that effortless effort, that divine self that's always in us. It's the essential fire within us that never goes out. Um, so if that's true, then that is what is going to provide for us everything we need. Um, so, so we could say when Jesus says this, he does not say if we think positive thoughts, then we will wear clothes finer than those worn by Solomon. He doesn't say if we do a vision board and work to visualize our dreams twice a day, then will we be fed and clothed mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. He simply says this is our right, for we are one with the ultimate consciousness, the divine self, what he would call the Father. We're one with that life force within us that is more than food. But that's not all that's being said here, because in these verses we also learn where the focus of the law of attraction should be. We are to seek the kingdom of heaven, referred to in other gospel texts as the kingdom of God, also referred to as the divine self. And yet even that seeking is not to be made up of striving. 
For the Father, the Divine Self, has already given it to us. I'm going to stop right there and let us sort of say la, pause and think about that, and come back with that in just a few minutes. Stay tuned for more. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. The Institute of Noetic Sciences has been a pioneer and leading authority in the field of consciousness and healing for 38 years. We invite you to discover how you can transform your health or healing practice with ION's cutting-edge research into mind-body medicine and healing. For a limited time, you can receive valuable thank-you gifts when you support the Institute of Noetic Sciences research and educational programs. Just click the banner on this page to discover how consciousness Research is transforming healthcare. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260 day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. 7th Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back for the final segment, talking today about what the sacred texts really say about the law of attraction. And what we are discovering here is that uh, really, what we're being led to by the sacred text is to a divine self. And even Jesus, uh, who the traditionalists would never say leads us to a divine self, they say we're supposed to worship him. He was the only one who had a divine self. Uh, but really, he's saying, seek your Father, uh, seek the kingdom of heaven, and everything else is going to be added to you. Why is it added to us? Because it's already ours. Um, but he doesn't just say that. He says... He's already given it to us, so it's already ours. So uh, this is the answer to your question, Denise. Um, The reason we need a law of attraction is because the true law of attraction is that we are attracted to and by all those things, places, people, circumstances, events, whatever, that will bring us closer and closer to conscious awareness of who we are as divine self. So when Jesus says, seek the kingdom, seek the divine self, kingdom is the kingdom of heaven, which is within us. Um, Kingdom is also the kingdom of God, and those terms are used interchangeably. 
the son of man is a, is a term that Jesus used quite frequently that means all of mankind, not just Jesus. Um, and from a metaphysical presentation, it means that. Um, traditionalists will tell you different. So you get to choose what you believe there. But uh, here's, the, here's the biggie. Jesus said, has it not been written in your law, I said you are God's. Now, that's pretty crystal clear. He was referring to the scripture in Psalm 82, 6, which says, I said you are God's, and all of you are sons of the Most High. There it is. I mean, there it is. It's interesting to me, though, that traditionalists tend to take so much of the sacred scripture literally, but when we get to verses like that, that so clearly tell us who we are and where the focus of our attention needs to be, these are basically ignored. I haven't heard in all, I mean, and I used to really uh, attend churches religiously, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, uh, and never heard anyone ever speak on that statement Jesus made. Never, not once. Now, that could have changed. I haven't been in several years, but I, I, what I heard was not that. What I heard was Jesus is God, and God is God, and we should be trying to be obedient to them and worship them, and that's it, and we should strive that way to do that. But really... What's most interesting about putting all these texts, studying all these texts together, is that he, Jesus, is saying the exact same thing that we read, read earlier from the other texts, the Buddhist texts, the Sufi texts, and the Hindu texts. Here's what he was saying. We are one with the divine. And it is knowledge of this oneness, not intellectual knowledge, but deep abiding inner knowing that allows us to have all that is owned, loved, and nurtured by the divine. So this is what he meant by the parable of the mustard seed uh, in, that we read about in Mark 4. How shall we uh, picture the kingdom of God? So he's trying to describe for us the kingdom of God. How shall we picture it? Or by what parable shall we present it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it's sown grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can rest under its shade. Our tiny little glimmers of recognition of who we are ultimately become complete consciousness of divine self. And when they do, every single transcendent thought, feeling, and action we've ever had will come to roost in its branches because that is ultimate consciousness. And this is exactly what he meant when he referred to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, as residing within us. So here's how that went, that conversation went. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So just as the Bhagavad Gita declared that ultimate consciousness pervades all things and all roads lead to ultimate consciousness of divine self, Jesus is right here declaring that the kingdom of heaven or God is found within us. There's no external sign, no, nothing out there that I will get to come in here to fulfill me. No event, no circumstance, no goal, uh, whether or not it's on our vision boards, which will bring, us a, bring about heaven on earth. It's an inside job. So... Because ultimate consciousness pervades all things, whatever we experience, we're experiencing divine self. Let's say that again. Because ultimate consciousness pervades all things, whatever we experience, we are experiencing divine self. 
The only question then is whether or not we know it. That's why the Buddha talks about an awakened self or a bodhi. This is a person who's awake. This is a person who can say, yes, I know it. I know that whatever I experience, I'm experiencing divine self. I know it because it's in my experience. I know it because I'm fully surrendered to divine self within me. Uh, so it's also what Jesus was talking about when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he, believe, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. So what he's saying is in, the in me there is the same that was used by uh, Sri Krishna, Krishna when he said in me. It is the I am. It's the, uh, the divine self. He who believes in divine self, in the I am, the works that, that Jesus did, he'll do even greater works than that. Why? Because Jesus was not intended to stay here. <laughs> he came to show us, and then we were supposed to do it after that. So um, these, these kind of verses really do tell us. There's a bunch of these kind of verses. Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, we, we interpret that to mean Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. But really he's saying, I am the way, the truth, and life. I am is the way, the truth, and life. Divine self is the way, the truth, and the life. So the law of attraction, the true law of attraction, really has to do with being attracted by and to all those events, people, places, and circumstances that are going to get us to become more and more aware of who we are as divine beings. And that is the purpose of the law of attraction, Denise. That is why we need a law of attraction. And it works consistently, whether we know it or not. So next week, we're going to be talking about the power of positive and negative, which is so much a part of the law of attraction and really so much a part of our everyday living, regardless of whether or not we even care about the law of attraction. So you don't want to miss it. It's very important. And so stay tuned to it for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.